Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. The reading for this service is taken from the book of John, chapter 4, verses 1 to 42, and can be found on page 1066 of the Church Bibles. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews didn't, do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, What do you want? Or, why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, 
the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of a woman's testimony. He told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In 1977, NASA launched the spacecrafts Voyager 1 and Voyager 2. They were sent out to explore the outer limits of our solar system. In 1979, they passed by Jupiter. By 1989, they both had reached Neptune. And each craft was fitted with a recording called the Sounds of Earth. It was a message from Earth to anyone in the universe who might be listening. And it contained images, sounds, and music. Thirty years later, the director of this project reflected on her choice of what to include a piece of music she loved by Beethoven. She said these words. I thought of Cavatina from the String Quartet, number 13, this great, beautiful, sad piece of music on which Beethoven had written in the margin the word uh, Sehnsucht. Uh, my German is terrible, so I apologize for that, but essentially uh, that is German for, for longing. Part of what we wanted to capture in the Voyager message was this great longing humans feel. Creatures of longing. You know, that feels like a pretty good description of who we are. Now, do we not all long for the end of the day so that we can put our feet up? Long for a warm bed when we're exhausted. Long for a cool drink when we've been out walking in the peak district on a, on a hot and warm day like today. Long for the preacher to not go on too long. We long for a pass from the driving instructor for a good honours degree, for a job offer. There are longings to own our first house, for a holiday, for a really good friend for a husband or wife, for a positive pregnancy test or for a negative blood test. And those longings connect to our deeper desires, longing for recognition, for acceptance, for unconditional love, 
longing to be comfortable, a longing to feel safe and protected, a longing for meaning, for purpose, for something or someone to satisfy. Now, we may have achieved many of these things in our lives. Uh, We've known what it is for our thirst to be quenched. But do we not find the longing quickly returns? We are not easily satisfied. C.S. Lewis calls this the inconsolable longing in the heart, for we know not what. In our story this evening, Jesus offers the one thing that can truly quench our longing. The question is, do we want it? See, Jesus' meeting with this Samaritan is told to point out to us where we can find true satisfaction for our longing. And it all points to verse 42. The story asks us this question, do we want this saviour of the world? And it's a question that is just as pertinent for the person who is here for the very first time as it is for the person who comes weekly. Do you have that same longing as the psalmist, as the deer longs for the water brooks, so my soul longs after you, O Lord? Do you? You know, is there anywhere that we would rather be this evening than here amongst God's people? Seeking after God. Now we've talked these last few weeks about the fact that actually we don't come here on a Sunday evening principally for the teaching. The reason that we gather together is we gather together for life. And you may have come along tonight, you know you've just wandered up to church in the usual way, minding your own business. Actually you've just been wandering along and minding your own business much like this lady in our story. But what you might not be ready for or prepared yourself for is that the Savior is here ready to meet with you as he was to meet with this lady in our story. And we immediately see that Jesus has orchestrated first an unexpected meeting. In the first few verses, we see that Jesus decides to go up north because he doesn't want to have a clash with Pharisees. I've got to say to you that there really is nothing like the north. It's been absolutely tremendous to be, to be back here in the north. I'm loving being home. And there's nothing like home, is there? And for Jesus, that is the north. Because Jesus is from Galilee. Jesus is a northerner. And we're told in verse 4 that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Which is strange since he didn't actually have to go that way. See, pious Jews avoided that area like the plague. It was normal for them when traveling north to to go the longer route and avoid that place. See, if you remember your Old Testament history, after the death of Solomon, Israel divided itself into into two, into Judah and Israel. And Israel was then overrun by the Assyrians and intermarrying took place. And so the Samaritan race developed. And the strict Jews always looked on the Samaritan race as a polluted race. And if John said Jesus had to go this way, it's surely because unless he went into that enemy territory, he couldn't demonstrate that he is the savior of more than the Jewish nation. That he was indeed the savior of the world. See, if you were with us a couple of weeks ago, we looked at chapter 3 
where Jesus presented himself as the saviour to an Orthodox Jew, a respectable religious man. Here you could hardly have a greater contrast. There a professor of theology, here a student of life. There a Jew, here a Samaritan. There a man, here a woman. And that is significant. Now Jesus is tired from the very long journey, verse 6. It's midday, it's hot, and Jesus needs a drink. It would appear that he is also hungry, and he sends the disciples to the local Tesco Express for a meal deal. Do you notice there that he sends all of them? All 12 of them? Now it suggests to me that Jesus is trying to, to get rid of them. It may be that he himself just requires a, a few minutes on his own, just a bit of breathing space. Or maybe he is creating space for something else. Notice there he takes a seat next to Jacob's well and he waits. And the symbolism of a well and Jesus meeting a woman at a well should not be lost on us here. Many Old Testament characters, through their servants or themselves, meet their wives at a well. Jesus, the groom, who is here, as we saw a few weeks back, to get this party started, as we saw there at the wedding in Cana, here waits for his most unlikely bride, this Samaritan woman which is actually symbolic for the wider church, which not only includes Jews, but Samaritans, Gentiles, the bride of Christ, because Jesus is the Savior of the world. Jesus is thirsty. Verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? You know, this is a woman who is trying to hide. For her, it is an accomplished skill since she does it every day. It's why she's out at midday filling her water jug when the sun is at its highest, hottest, and most punishing. Now, visiting the well for everyone else was the communal part of the day, a chance to catch up with friends early in the morning or evening, a chance to, to catch up on the local news and the gossip. Visiting the well for her was the, the loneliest part of her day. Have you crept in here this evening? Do you want to, to hide away from the world? Do you feel lonely, scared, vulnerable, broken? Then know that you are among friends. And note also that Jesus was waiting at that well to meet this woman. Now she probably, almost certainly, spotted him and then decided, look, if I... You know, I, I'm sure if I could just sort of work it this way, if I keep my head down, I, I can fill up my jar and I'll be gone within a minute. Jesus then does the unexpected. He, he speaks to her. Now, this is just not awkward. It breaks all the rules. Jesus flouts convention. Where that the moment he opens his mouth, you see, no respectable Middle Eastern man of the time would have a private conversation with a woman in public, unless, of course, it was his wife. And the Samaritan woman does not hesitate to point this out to him. Verse 9, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. You can imagine the, the surprise, can't you, on, on the disciples' faces when they returned to find Jesus talking to a woman. A Samaritan woman. You see, Jesus is an unconventional radical who challenges the norms of society, 
Jesus speaks to a woman. But the most significant difference between this chapter and the last one is that when there he was speaking to a Jew, but here he is speaking to a Samaritan. But if he is to be the savior of the world, he must also be the savior to Samaritans. You see, his bride will come from all tribes, all nations, all peoples. So it was an unexpected meeting for this woman. She next receives an unexpected offer. Now we've all had those uh, conversations with people when we, we are on different wavelengths and we sort of find ourselves sort of speaking past each other. And, and a couple uh, had been married for 50 years and the husband said to his wife one day, I have always found you tried and true. To which she replied, yes, I'm tired of you too. And Jesus has one of those conversations here. Take a look at verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Verse 11, Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? They're evidently, aren't they? They're talking past each other. Do you think she is being cynical? Probably. She is wise to the ways of the world. Do you think she is being playful? Possibly. She certainly seems to have the measure of Jesus. You know, look, look there at verse 12. Do you not get something here of, of who do you think you are, Jesus? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus, uh, not distracted at all, replies straight back. Verse 13, everyone who drinks the water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. You see, Jesus has a plan for this woman, a plan for her life. The late Christian philosopher and Harvard professor Frederick Binkner writes, We carry our worlds on our backs like snails carry their homes. You see, we do not just live in a world, but a world lives in each of us. We carry our worlds, our story. We carry our pain, our joy, our uncertainty, our longing like shells on our backs. And Jesus reads this woman's soul, and her soul is so dry. She carries her empty water jar in the hottest, most lonely time of the day. See, her water jar is the symbol of her world, her shell, never full for long, quickly empty. Each day, she must walk down the road to, to fill it again. Now, this woman, surely, she kind of missed the, the deeper things that Jesus is talking about. You know, Jesus is saying, and he's saying to you and to me, come, all you who are thirsty, Come to the living waters. Come to me and I will give you rest. Come and bring your thirsty heart. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. See, Jesus is offering the one thing that will satisfy. Jesus himself. Have we tried everything 
but nothing in this life has fully satisfied. Jesus is offering eternal life. And yet she reduces Jesus' offer to fitting a house with new plumbing. Verse 15. Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. (laughs) And yet the astonishing news is that her give me of verse 15 was quite enough for Jesus. Quite enough for him to respond to her with grace and truth and kindness. Even if she may not fully understood what she is asking for. But she asked. It's an unexpected meeting. It's an unexpected offer. Jesus now makes an unexpected revelation. Now, When I originally thought about a series on John chapter 2 to 4, I was excited at the possibility of looking afresh at Jesus together. I mean, that's been our our aspiration, our our goal uh, for this year, that we want to meditate more upon Christ. But what I hadn't bargained for was the the penetrating way Jesus looks right into our hearts. Now, what is the the worst thing, the worst sin that, that we have ever done? Honestly, if I was to to grapple with that and if I was to think about that, I would be deeply ashamed if you could see what Jesus can of my heart. You know, every person that Jesus has met on our journey through John, their hearts have been like an open book to him. And Jesus sees right into this woman's heart. You might think if, if Jesus could see into her heart or into our hearts, He might reject us for the murky mess that is there. But actually, he looks right into the depths of the heart and loves us because he is the potter looking at the clay. He just wants to remake us from within. He just needs us to see our need of Jesus. It is what Jesus is up to in these next verses. Verse 16, go call your husband and come back. That's not a side track or even a different tack. What Jesus is getting at is that if we want life, if we truly want life, if we truly want this living water that he's offering to us, we've first got to deal with what brings us death, with what shrivels us up within. And that strange mixture of tenderness and firmness that Jesus so often shows, he puts his finger right on her problem. The thing that's been shriveling her up inside. You see, she has been flouting God's rules and God's norms. That is why she's at odds with herself and with others. Truth be known, she really is no different than us, is she? See, when we are at odds with others and with ourselves, we try to cope, don't we, by plugging the gap of God's absence through other things. You know, we might make a priority of, our, of outdoor pursuits or, or we turn to comfort eating or we, we plunge ourselves headlong into our work. Well, for this woman, it is relationships. Go call your husband and come back. Verse 17, I have no husband, she replied. 
And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. This woman is evidently looking for something. She's moving from relationship to relationship, from thing to thing, believing she will eventually find what she is looking for. Even if she doesn't know what that is, just believing that the next relationship will give her what she's absolutely desperate for. You know, the the level of disillusionment among many young people is striking. A lot of the work that that I've done over the last decade or so has been working with students in 20s. And, and 30s, and, and uh, you know, it's, it's, it's true today that finding a job is not always easy. But often, even, even when uh, you find a job, even when they find a job, it's often far removed from what they're interested in, qualified to do, and passionate about. Uh, many in their 20s and 30s are underemployed, underpaid, and quite honestly frustrated. And even those who find the job of their dreams are not always happy. One wrote, I'm only 23 and it's been barely over a year since I graduated from university. Yet already the work environment and the consequences of the real world have warped and degraded me. All I have are feelings of disillusionment and betrayal. And it's not just younger people who can't find satisfaction. A few years back I was, um, I was uh, on the underground and a voice, a voice came over the station PA. All services this afternoon are subject to severe delay and disruption due to unexpected circumstances. Which, if you've been in London for long enough, is code for there's a person on the tracks. And I remember sitting on that seat on the underground, and honestly, my heart just broke. Broke for the person who just couldn't cope any longer with the things that this life had brought and took such a decision. The philosopher Pascal wrote, what does all this restlessness and helplessness indicate, except that people were once in true happiness, which has now left them? So they vainly search, but can find nothing to help them, other than to see an infinite abyss that can only be filled by the one who is infinite and immutable. Notice that verse 18 is the only thing that John records about this woman. Yet strikingly, down in verse 39, when she returns to her town, she says to her neighbors, come, see a man who told me everything I've ever done. And it's the same invitation. We have been making every week come and see Jesus for who he is. And what is, what is Jesus doing in these verses? I think it's important that we address that question, uh, that we ask this question. Is it, is it cruel naming and shaming? Surely this Samaritan woman didn't need to be exposed like this. She knows fully who she is, and so do all her neighbors. And that is the point. Jesus is saying, I know who you are. But I want you to know who I am. That I am full of grace and kindness and love and gentleness. But more than that, I'm something more than that. Do you know who I really am? 
And bit by bit, she's getting it. Verse 9, you are a Jew. Verse 12, you are greater than Jacob. Are you greater than Jacob? Verse 19, sir, I can see you are a prophet. She's nearly got it. She's nearly there. See, Jesus is doing so much more than, than revealing her dark secrets in this conversation. He's revealing who he is. It's an unexpected meeting, an unexpected offer, an unexpected revelation. We now have an expected change. Verse 19, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Is that right, Jesus? Look, you've highlighted the things that aren't quite right in my life, and I want to kind of reconcile. I want to put this right. I want to, I want to know where to go. What do I do? It is, of course, an, an abrupt change of subject. She's, she's clearly embarrassed. Uh, you know, we would almost certainly feel the same, wouldn't we, if Jesus was discussing our worst sin with us? And before we conclude, I do want us to notice something serious about her question. As I said, she, she now sees and knows that, that she is, 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 is a sinner and, and she sees also that Jesus is more than a liberal-minded Jew. He, he clearly has a supernatural knowledge. He's put his finger on her sin. And she basically is asking him that question. Where do I go to atone for my sin? Where do I go to try and put it right? Do I have to go all the way down to Jerusalem or is it okay on this mountain? And look closely at Jesus' answer. It's very important, verse 21 to 24. He says that worship is not tied anymore to a set place on this mountain or Jerusalem, verse 21. It is tied to a set object, God the Father, verse 23, in and through God's Holy Spirit, verse 24. It seems to be, doesn't it, that, the, that this woman now fully gets who Jesus is. And it is to him she must go to make her peace. And so she tests her hypothesis. Verse 25, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. She's testing him, and then Jesus delivers. I, the one speaking to you, I am he. William Mackay left the medical college at the age of 17, and before his departure, his mum gave him a Bible to take with him. And on the inside of the Bible, she wrote his name, her name, and a Bible verse. And the young man turned his back on God. And then a drunken spree, he, he pawned the Bible that his mother had given him for money to buy more drink. And to be honest with you, he wandered far away from where, what he had been taught at home as a boy. And yet, at the same time, the young Scotsman went on to become a very successful doctor rising to the head of the largest hospital in Edinburgh. And yet, God had a plan for this man. Many years later, uh, one day, an accident victim came into his hospital and was under Dr. Mackay's care. And the patient, learning that he had only a few hours to live, asked Dr. Mackay, will you please send for my landlady and ask her to send me the book? The doctor agreed, and within a few hours, the landlady arrived with the book. Sadly, within a short time, the patient died, and Dr. Mackay was curious as to what kind of book the patient wanted. And he asked the nurse, what, what, what about the, the book that he asked for? Was it a novel? Was it a, a, a diary? What was it? And the nurse replied, no, it was neither of those. Actually, it's still under his pillow. Why don't you go and have a look? 
The doctor reached under the pillow and pulled out the book. And when he opened it, his eyes fell immediately upon the inside cover. To his amazement, it was the very Bible he had received from his mother that he had pawned years before. And he saw his name, he saw his mother's name and the Bible verse she had inscribed. And he was overwhelmed. Now God has finally caught up with him. Has God finally caught up with you tonight? See, God had caught up with the woman of Samaria. And this woman is so overwhelmed, she has met the Messiah. She, she rushes into town to the very people her whole life had been based on avoiding to share the good news. And she becomes a, a true worshipper. And because of her witness, many of the town folk, verse 42, come to believe as well. But did you notice what she has left behind in verse 28? Her water jar, her shell, her old life. Her empty life, her deep longing is satisfied. Her thirst is finally quenched. Will you do the same tonight? Now, whatever you are carrying, whatever temporary thing you are trying to fill your life up with, will you acknowledge it will not satisfy? Will you leave it at the cross? Will you exchange it for eternal life? Dr. Mackay slipped the Bible under his coat and he rushed back to his private office. And it was there in that office that the doctor fell to his knees praying that God would have mercy on him and save him. And he read the verse that Dr. Mackay's mother wrote in his Bible. And this is the verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but shall receive eternal life. Oh, my dear friend, if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, why not put your trust in him tonight? Amen.